singing this morning. What a great day it is to be in God's church. Amen. Man, I'm excited to be here this morning, and I'm excited to see what the Lord has for us this morning. Um, if you go, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter number 15 this morning. We're going to read verses as we go through the sermon today. Uh, but we're going to talk on the subject of the forgotten prodigal this morning. And Aaron did an amazing job last week preaching on the prodigal son and what an encouraging message that was and how encouraging it is to know that no matter how far we go, the Father's always waiting for us to come back home. And I would say that's probably one of the most encouraging parables in all the Bible. Now this morning, I'm going to give you one of the most disappointing parables in all the Bible. I'm going to give you a parable this morning that is forgotten about, that is overlooked but it is a sad and disturbing parable that we find in the same story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter number 15. So I'm going to go ahead and pray and then we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be here, Lord. I pray that you be with, be with my words, Lord, that you be with the hearts of your church. And we'll be careful to give you all the glory, the praise, and the honor for all that happens. And in your name we pray. Amen. Now, at the beginning of Luke chapter number 15, we're introduced to the audience that Jesus is speaking to. Through these different parables that he's telling, he's speaking to people who are tax collectors and that are sinners. Now, the Bible tells us that the Pharisees and the scribes are listening in on these conversations that Jesus is having. The crowd is filled with people who are at the bottom of the list of that day, and the crowd is filled with people who are at the top of the list that day. It's filled with sinners, and it's filled with the religious elite. It's filled with younger brothers, and it's also filled with older brothers. Jesus is telling these stories, uh, these parables, as he always does, and he's giving the examples of a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And Jesus is describing in these parables that he cares about the one. Jesus always cares about the one. The shepherd will go out and find the one sheep that's missing. The, the, the parable of the woman and the lost coin. He will search around the house and dig and he will continue to look for the coin until he finds it. And last week as we heard Aaron preach that he will patiently wait for the son to return home and rejoice when he does. But there's a character in the closing verses of chapter number 15 that we frequently forget about. The older brother in the parable of the lost son. Verse number 11 of chapter number 15 tells us that a certain man had two sons. A certain man had two sons. Normally the older brother is forgotten about because of the amazing story of the younger brother. But Jesus not only has a great message in the story of the younger brother, he also has a convicting message through the story of the older brother. Jesus is wanting us to realize through this story that the older brother's attitude is just as bad as the younger brother's actions. His attitude is just as bad as the younger brother's actions, but in spite of both of their mistakes, he loves them just the same. Let's just go ahead and level the playing field this morning that no matter what you've done or no matter what you haven't done, none of us are perfect, all of us are sinners, and we all need Jesus. Unfortunately, we can find ourselves thinking that we are better than we actually are. And then we start comparing the best qualities of ourselves 
to the worst qualities of others. This type of attitude and this type of thinking is what Jesus is trying to point out in the older brother. But before we jump into the older brother this morning, we need to lay a quick foundation from last week's message. So point number one this morning, we're introduced to the shameful younger brother in verses 11 through 24. I'm not going to take a lot of time to go through this because like I said, Aaron did an amazing job last week on discussing it. But we need to understand of where the older brother's coming from because of the story of the younger brother. We realize that the younger brother lived a completely shameful life season of his life. It was shameful that he would go to his father and request his inheritance. Aaron pointed out last week that this was almost telling the father, I wish you was dead. I wish you would just die so I can get what's mine. How shameful and shameful is that, that he would go to his father and demand what he thinks is his. We see that in verses 11 and 12. We see in verse number 13 of Luke chapter 15 that it was shameful about how he wasted that inheritance. Imagine the father working so many years to develop a a household and to develop a a legacy that he could one day give to his sons. The younger brother goes and demands it. The father liquidates everything and gives it to him. And then the younger brother goes out and spends it all. And we figure out what he spends it all later on in chapter number 15. And he spends all his money on harlots, on prostitutes. How shameful. How embarrassing to the family. When the younger brother runs out of money, when the younger brother runs out of of his friends, when the younger brother runs out of his influence, he decides to join that far country. Because he has nothing left. He needed to join the country in order to get a job, in order to pay for whatever lifestyle he wanted to live. And as a Jewish young man, one of the most shameful things that you could do is work with pigs. To work with an unclean animal, but that's exactly where the younger brother winds up at. At stalls, working with pigs. Not only working with those pigs and feeding the pigs, but the younger brother's eating the same food that he's feeding the pigs. Shameful, embarrassing. And at the end of the story, as we saw last week, he comes to himself. He, he gets a grip. He understands and he says this, that my father's hired servants are better off than I am. So I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to beg and I'm going to plead that at least make me a hired servant. But I can see the Pharisees and the scribes that are listening in on the story that Jesus is telling the tax collectors and the sinners of how shameful the, brother, the younger brother is to even come home. To even think about coming home and to even think about more things that his father could give him. But we find at the end of the story, like last week, that the father was waiting for the younger brother to arrive. And when he sees him in a distance, he runs to him and he embraces him and he loves him and gives him grace. The father welcomed him home with open arms. And aren't you glad this morning that no matter how far we go and what type of mistakes that we make, that we can always turn around, run to the father, and fall into No judgment, no condemnation, no hate, just grace and love is what we find from the Father. We find this type of attitude from the Father, but unfortunately, 
we start to venture into the more disturbing part of the story. And secondly, as we're going to look to this morning, is we're introduced to the self-righteous older brother. The self-righteous older brother. And we find this in verses 25 through 30. As we transition into the final few verses of Luke chapter 15, we're introduced to the forgotten character of this parable, the older brother. And our introduction to this individual is not a positive one. It's extreme, it's, it's filled with extreme negati- negativity. It's filled with extreme caution to fellow believers. Jesus has already addressed the sinners and the tax collectors in his parables. He, he went through the story of the lost sheep and went through the story of the lost coin and went through the story of the lost son. But Jesus begins to address the Pharisees and the scribes now in the last few verses of Luke chapter 15. There are several characteristics that we find in this older brother that Jesus points out through his incredible storytelling abilities. Jesus points out through this older brother what the religious crowd in that day struggled with in regards to how they felt about people outside of their circle. And I'm afraid that the things that the religious crowd struggled with in Jesus' day, that it has been brought into the modern church today as well. And Jesus is pointing these things out in the older brother, and we're going to find three characteristics that Jesus identifies in the older brother that we might find in ourselves as well. The first thing that we find in the self-righteous older brother is that the older brother lacks grace for other people. We find this in verses 25 through 28 of Luke chapter 15. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. There was a party going on because the younger brother came home, and the father wanted to rejoice over the fact. The father gave him the best robe, the father gave him a ring, the father gave him some Jordans to slide on so he could party with everybody else as well. There's a straight up party going on, and the older brother hears about it. 26. So he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home, and because he has received him safe and sound, Your father has killed the fatted calf. Now look what verse number 28 says. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. Unforgiving and unable to forgive. This brother grows angry that not only did his brother come home, but that his father would welcome him back. It was obvious that this older brother was holding his younger brother hostage to his past mistakes. And my, my friends, can't we be the same way to other people? We hold one mistake over someone's head and instead of trying to help, we hold them hostage, never even trying to forgive them or reconcile. It's like we enjoy knowing that someone's not perfect and we enjoy letting them know about it. It could be a coworker, it could be a friend, but most of the time it's with family members and spouses. That we hold one mistake over someone's head, not even willing to try and forgive, not even willing to try and reconcile, but we want to point it out. And we want to let them know how wrong they are. We often expect grace to be given to us, but we don't give grace in return. We bring things up passive-aggressively, or we just outright say it. 
The older brother lacked grace, but it gets worse from here. The story builds on itself, and because the older brother lacked grace, secondly, we see that the older brother exaggerates his own goodness. We see that in verse number 29. The Bible says, so he answered and said to his father, look how arrogant this next statement is. Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. I have never transgressed your commandments at any time. I've never done anything wrong. I've always done what you've expected of me. I am perfect. And you never threw me a party. You never killed the fatted calf for me. You never gave me the best robe. You never gave me a ring. You never gave me sandals. You never rejoiced over my faithfulness. You never recognized my goodness. And I've never messed up. Dramatic. Exaggerating, don't you think? Could it be that the reason that we lack grace for others is because we think we're always right and can't make the same mistake someone else might make? We might not voice that we think we're perfect, but we might be thinking it. And it shows the way we treat people sometimes. We can exaggerate how good we really are, can't we? <laughs> I, I would venture to say, now, this is an illustration because me and Brianna, my wife, I'm her first husband if you didn't know. Um, <laughs> we argue sometimes. Oh, I know. I, th I thought yeah, I we're perfect, but we're almost there. <laughs> we argue sometimes, and the majority of the time that when we argue, it's because, normally it's because of me. I'll be outright in a minute. But it's because this. I think I'm right, and I think she's wrong. That's arguing. <laughs> That's the definition of it. If something were to happen, oh, I did it perfectly, you did it non-perfectly, you're the one that made the mistake, I'm the one that didn't, that's why we're arguing right now. And in our minds, the pride that swells up in our heads, we can often think that we can do no wrong, just like this older brother. I've always kept your commandments. I've always done everything the correct way. But the older brother takes it a step further. Because when you exaggerate how good you think you are, you start to compare yourself to imperfect people. We see this, the older brother, thirdly, compares his goodness to others' failures. And we see this in verse number 30. The Bible says this, but as soon as, sorry, let's read this again. But as soon as this son of yours came, here's the comparison, who devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. You celebrated him. This is your son. I'm the perfect one. He ruined our testimony. He was shameful. He lived with harlots. He spent all your livelihood. I'm perfect. Yet look what he did. But as soon as this son of yours came, look at me compared to him, and you give him the party. You killed the fatted calf for him. I deserve better than that is what the older brother's saying. 
when we exaggerate how good we are, we will start measuring ourselves with others because it makes us feel better, doesn't it? But it's unfair to compare the best things about yourself to the worst thing about others. That's unfair. Listen, my friends, the only good thing about us is Jesus. That's the only good thing about us. The Bible compares our goodness to filthy rags, does it not? And those filthy rags is described as the the rags that the lepers wiped their sores with. So your goodness is pus and blood and a rag all in one. Looks good, doesn't it? That's what the Bible compares our goodness to. And this older brother is comparing that goodness to his younger brother's mistakes. And this is the attitude that Jesus is calling out in the Pharisees and how the Pharisees feel feel towards other people, towards the sinners and towards the uh, the tax collectors that Jesus is talking to. He says this, Pharisees, you lack grace for these people. You lack grace for them. You think you're perfect because you uphold the law compared to them. And then you compare what you think is perfection to someone else's sin nature or past mistakes. And this is what Jesus is calling out into the Pharisees and saying, this is how you feel about these sinners. This is how you feel about these tax collectors. Nosy, selfish, angry, graceless, Judgy, arrogant, hateful, hypocritical. These are just some of the words that the world describes the church today as. Are they wrong? Sadly, the modern church has become more self-righteous and self-centered than ever before. But what exactly is self-righteousness? Self-righteousness or a holier-than-thou attitude is a feeling or display of moral superiority derived from a sense that one beliefs, actions, or affirmations are of greater virtue than those of the average person. I'm better than you because. I'm better than you because I have a better-paying job. Or I'm better than you because I have a nicer house. Or I'm better than you because... I know how to parent and you don't. I'm better than you because I live on this side of the tracks and you don't. I'm better than you because, fill in the blank, we could go on all day, but that is self-righteousness. And you don't even have to say that out loud. All you have to do is think it. And that's self-righteousness. And normally self-righteousness is built off pillars of insecurity. Jesus is calling out this attitude and saying that it's just as wrong to have this type of attitude as it is that the younger brother's actions put shame and embarrassment to the family. Self-righteousness is the furthest thing from Christ-likeness. This is the prodigal son that's forgotten about in the story. The term prodigal simply means wasteful, though related to money or material things usually. I believe it's bigger than that. The older son was wasteful. The older son was a prodigal, and this is what he wasted. He wasted the opportunity to show grace and to show love to someone who didn't deserve it. He wasted the opportunity to be like Jesus. The younger brother ran away physically, but the older brother ran away spiritually. Both of these brothers 
were in spiritual darkness. And the saddest part of this story is not that the younger brother ran away. That's not the sad part. The saddest part of the story is not that the older brother had a self-righteous attitude. This is the saddest part of the story. That this story is compared to how the family of God can be towards each other. They're brothers. They're part of the same family. Yet look what happens in this story. Now, I don't have kids yet. But when I do, they have no hope. <laughs> I have a red beard. Everyone thinks that our kids are going to have red heads. And I've always heard that red heads have no souls. So, I don't know how true that is, but I'm worried for them. And I need to pray for them, okay? <laughs> but I'm, I'm not a father. I'm a doggy dad. I have a dog. But that's all about I know about fatherhood. That's about it. But I can't imagine one day that when I am a father, that if someone were to make fun of my son or daughter, I could not imagine how that would make me feel. Or someone were to gossip about my family, or someone were to be bagging on my family, or someone were to make fun of my family, especially my kids. I don't have kids, but my, my father bear within me is kind of already getting out of there. Because it would, it would upset me. It would irritate me. It would make me not happy. And can we imagine how the father feels when we do that to his own kids? When we gossip, when we point fingers, when we accuse and hold hostage people who've made mistakes. Can you imagine how, how that makes the father feel? Listen, church, there are no second-rate citizens in the family of God. There are no second-rate citizens in the family of God. We were, I was driving to uh, Aaron Fisher's house a couple weeks ago to help them move. And I pulled up to this stop sign, and it was a four light, and there was this homeless man that was sitting on the side of the road, and he was selling these crosses right here. It's made out of paracord. This one's actually kind of cool. It's purple with some black paracord within it, woven in it, and uh, it's pretty awesome. I thought it's really cool. So I bought one. You know, he had a sign that says, anything will help. So I never carry cash, but I had $5 that day, so I gave him five bucks for it. But the reason I bought it you probably don't know why, if you see this in my car, why it's there. But I bought it for a reason. My, my heart broke when I saw this homeless man sitting out there holding these crosses and selling them. And my first thought to this homeless man was this, if I can be honest and transparent. Everyone's hiring. Why don't you get your butt up and go get a job? That was my first thought. Everyone's hiring. You must be lazy. You, you, you must not want to work is what you want. Huh. I don't know this man's story. I don't know where he's been. I don't know what he's gone through. And how dare me assume someone's story. How dare me. To think so lowly of one of God's children. And I bought this cross and I put it in my car, hanging right on the mirror, to remind me that I am better than no one and that God loves everyone just the same. Saved 
and unsaved, churched and unchurched, wealthy and unwealthy, Christian school or public school, skinny, fat, tall, short. God loves every single person and didn't he die for all? And how dare I sit on my man-made throne and look down with my self-righteous nose and condemn someone when I don't even know them? How sickening. How wrong. That's one of God's children. And how dare me point fingers and scorn and mock and gossip and down and make fun of someone who's fearfully and wonderfully made. Someone who knows every hair on our head. Someone who created the stars also. Someone who created all the animals that we see. Someone who made the oceans and made the universe. But he doesn't take time to love on that. He takes time to love on us. And he loves everybody. So this sits in my car as a constant reminder that I am better than nobody. I'm just a nobody telling everybody about somebody who can save anybody. Lastly, first we saw the shameful son. Secondly, we saw the self-righteous older brother. And lastly, we see the selfless father. We see this in verses 31 through 32. The Bible says this, and he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. The father comes to this older brother and says, oh, wait, 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 wait. That's not right. We ought to be merry. We ought to be rejoicing. Your brother was lost. And now he's found. You're still loved. You still have everything that's coming. You are still the older brother. You have been here. And imagine the love that the father has for both sons. Man, it's so hard to comprehend God's love, isn't it? I'm overwhelmed by God's selflessness. Loving both sons equally in spite of their failures. In spite of the shame that's brought to the family from both of them. And even when we sin, even when we do wrong, the Father doesn't punish us by removing his love. He brings us closer and just loves on us a little bit more. Just like the lost sheep, the shepherd went out and found it. Just like the lost coin, the lady searched around the house and finally found it. Just like the lost son, the father waited patiently to see his son return. The father does the same thing. For this older brother. Look what verse number 28 says. But he was angry and would not go in. Last part. Therefore his father came out. And pleaded with him. You see God cares about the family. Shameful. Maybe embarrassed. Maybe even self-righteous. God still wants to come to you. And help you. And love you. We see in just a few months after these parables are given that Jesus is about to complete one of the most selfless acts of all time. He's going to die on a cross just to show his love to all his children. 
You see, Christ is our ultimate example of how true Christianity ought to be. The Father is the ultimate example of what true Christianity is all about. When Jesus could condemn, when Jesus could scorn, when Jesus could gossip, he chose to sit down and love imperfect people. Look at what verse number 1 says of chapter 15. Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. Jesus took time to love imperfect people. My friends, who cares if someone doesn't do something to your expectation? Who cares if someone acts a little bit different? Who cares if someone dresses a little bit different? Who cares if someone does church a little bit different? Can we be honest with each other this morning? It ain't none of our business. Who cares? Listen, my friends, we couldn't even live up to our own expectations that we put on other people. Who cares about that stuff? If we're going to be like Christ, we're going to love imperfect people regardless. Is the reason that we condemn so much and tear others down is that we find more security and validation in that than in Jesus? Listen, my friends, we're all messed up. <laughs> Can I get an amen right there? <laughs> we're all messed up in some form or fashion. And we all need Jesus in some form or fashion. We all need help. We all need grace. And we all should give that out as well. The self-righteous older brother, the forgotten prodigal. Maybe we have some prodigal tendencies ourselves. Maybe we feel entitled like the younger brother. Or maybe we are self-righteous like the older brother. In Romans 12, Paul is addressing the church in regards to how they can utilize their spiritual gifts that God has given them. Paul is writing to the church in Romans 12, giving details about what kind of different spiritual gifts that he has given the church, that they could utilize in order to, to serve and help grow the church better. But Paul gives a, a warning in chapter number, uh, verse number 3 of chapter 12, because he knows that in a believer's life, it's easy for pride to take over. It's easy for arrogance to take over. It's easy for self-righteousness to take over. And he addresses this in Verse number three of chapter number 12, listen to this. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Paul gives a warning, hey, don't think you're all that. God's given you these gifts. God's given you these abilities. God's bestowed grace on you. I love going out on the boat, and whether it's fishing, tubing, relaxing, my pasty self needs some sun. <laughs> so if I can get out into some sun, I'm all right with that. And when I first started driving the boat, for some reason it would slipped my mind that the boat has an anchor. I don't know why, but I completely forgot that boats have anchors. What a newbie. <laughs> and so Brienne and I would get out, and whether we're fishing or tubing or relaxing, we would just go and park somewhere, not lay anchor, and I'd have to be aware of wherever we were drifting off to. You know, and when I don't pay attention, whether it's an incoming tide or an outgoing tide, 
whether the sun's out or the moon's out, I don't know how all that stuff works, whether the wind's blowing or there's more wakes from other boats, when we're drifting and not set an anchor, the water can take us wherever. And if you're not paying attention, it could put you in a, in a bind. The water could push you up on land. The water could push you towards some docks. The water could push you towards shallow water. There's just no telling where you could drift off if you're not paying attention. And we would sit there, and before we knew it, we were a mile from where we stopped. And we were way out of the way from where we had originally stopped. And my friends, our Christian life can get this way as well. That we can get through life hurt. Through life, we can get angry. Through circumstances, we can develop pride. Through different things, waves of life can push us to certain parts of the lake. And if we're not careful, and if we're not paying attention, we can look back and wonder, how did I get here? How did I get here? I'm negative all the time. I'm judging and condoning people all the time. I'm ungrateful all the time. How in the world did I get here? And if it's not a crazy day out, it's a slow drift. And it's unnoticeable if you're not paying attention. And maybe you're there this morning. You're looking back when you first got saved or first got to know Jesus and first got to be part of the family of God and you see someone who you don't recognize anymore. Someone with a smile on their face. Someone who enjoyed going to church. Someone who enjoyed helping other people. But through whatever circumstances brought you here, and we can't say one positive thing about somebody, and all we do is judge people, and we're unhappy as a Christian, which shouldn't even be in the same sentence. Man, how did I get here? How did I wind up here? Well, my friend, if you're there this morning, can I tell you that way back over there, on this side of the lake, there's a man standing over here that says, come home. I'll even meet you halfway. I will help you. I will throw a rope for you to come. I will figure out a way for you to get back home. And whether you're a lost sheep, whether you're a, a coin, or whether you're a lost son, or whether you're this forgotten prodigal, and you're finding yourself somewhere that you ought not to be, and you're finding yourself somewhere that you miss that young buck, can I tell you the Father wants you to come back? Let's read the last few verses of this 31 and 32 and he said to him son you are always with me 
and all that I have is yours. I'm not going to punish you and remove my blessing just because you made a mistake. You just got to come to yourself, turn around, and come back home. And this should be our prayer today as we wrap up. God, help me judge less, love more, and keep my heart close to you. God, help me judge less, love more, and keep my heart close to you. Let's pray. As I pray, I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and make their way up here. <clears throat> you might be sitting here today and you might be thinking to yourself, 